good morning, everybody. I wish I could see you, but I hope that my face is a, is a happy face for you to be able to see right now. We have a wonderful chapter to complete this morning in Acts chapter 16, but before we get into the Word, just a few announcements for this week. We'll continue our Zoom meetings throughout the week, so on Tuesday nights, if you have middle school students or high school students, they're meeting on Tuesday nights at 7.30 through Zoom. On Wednesday nights, guys, we will be in Romans chapter 8, just a, an incredible chapter in God's Word. So I want to extend that invitation to all of the men to continue to join in and, and uh, just join in the conversation as we, as we study and discuss not only God's Word, but our lives together and, and the impact of Jesus in our lives, which is awesome. And then on Thursday night, the gals are still meeting. So uh, Thursday night at 7 for the Zoom meeting for the Women's Bible Study. On Saturday, we will have our men's breakfast by Zoom also. And then next Sunday. So we have a question mark over next Sunday. Just here in Georgia, there's a little bit more openness. Uh, our shelter in place ends on the 30th. Um, I don't have a definitive answer for what we're going to do next Sunday. It may be this once again, or we may have um, our worship and teaching in the sanctuary. We have enough space in here where we can really spread everybody out. I don't know if that means that we'll all be wearing masks or what that's, that would look like. Um, we should have live streaming in place also for next Sunday. So if we actually have, if we actually gather in this room, we'll be able to live stream it for those who remain at home. And then we'll be able to have some face-to-face -face but still distant interaction in this room. Again, we're not 100% on that. We want to really, um, in all of this, we want to love one another well. Um, you know, in that, in our... In our society, in our country, 50,000 people have lost their life from this disease. At the same time, almost 30 million people have lost their jobs. And there's a tension um, that everybody sits in. We all have different opinions on, on what should occur and when. But in all this, my opinion is just that we want to move forward in love and in wisdom. Um, so we'll have conversations about that this week. Uh, we'll get out and email exactly what our plans are uh, for next Sunday. Um, and what that looks like as churches in our community uh, come back together. So we won't be alone in this decision. We'll really want to press into the wisdom and, and advice of others and, and how others are processing through this. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And with all of that, be in prayer. Be in prayer for um, the congregation, just that we would clearly hear from God what he is directing us to do in wisdom, in love. We don't want to do this with our fleshly minds and worldly wisdom and what we think is right and wrong, uh, but we want the mind of Christ as we make decisions and as we move forward. So in Acts 16, where we were last week, and this is exactly the, the snapshot that we see in the word here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who is in control. Um, so let's pray before we jump into the word, and then we'll kind of take this chapter by chunks, by scenes, so to say, as we work through it this morning. So Heavenly Father, again, we come with boldness of faith, 
boldness and in courage and heart and in mind as we come to you, as we talk to you. We know that our access to you is through Jesus and Jesus alone. Through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through you opening up our hearts and minds to believe in him, you have placed us into your son and he is in us and we are one and we have free access to come to you. So we come to you as your kids. We come to you telling you that we want to sit at your feet right now. We want to hear your voice. We want you to open our hearts. We want you to open our minds. We want to be loving towards you and towards one another. We want to be obedient to you and honoring to you in all things at all times, Lord. And it's only through our relationship with you as we attend to you as we submit to you, as we surrender to you and yield to you, Lord, where we find that freedom, that joy, the ability to praise you in all circumstances. We love you, Lord, tremendously. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in what we covered last week, just by way of review, the Holy Spirit is not permitting... Paul and the team to go into certain areas in Asia. And in verse 9 of chapter 16, the Holy Spirit gives to Paul a vision. And in this vision, a man from Macedonia. So they're in, uh, on the continent of Asia currently in this scene. And they have this vision from a man that's in Macedonia on the continent of Europe. Just over the Aegean Sea. And he's pleading in this vision with Paul saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the conclusion, the bringing together of all the pieces is that yes, the Lord has uh, prevented us from what we are seeking to do in this area, but he is clearly calling us to go to this community and preach the gospel to them. Now with this, as we, we mentioned last week, the we there, to circle that, that means that Luke is joined up with Paul um, and others here in Troas. It's important because at the end of this chapter, the, uh, the word shifts to they again. So we're going to watch Luke stay behind in Philippi. And I'll give context to that as we travel through this. But this, this we team, as they are going together, it's Luke, it's Timothy, it's Paul, it's Silas. And these four men and whoever else may be traveling with them might understanding from this is if God gave to me a clear vision and I'm setting course uh, ahead to follow uh, the direction of the Lord, I'm going to have great expectations that God is going to do something wonderful, that God is going to do something big. And you know, it's again, it's, uh, it's probably, probably my flesh as we always want God something to do something really big. A lot of times it's even the, the little things that God does that are so important. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see things that could be considered really big and really grand. And at the same time, um, there's going to be some, God just doing something specifically in an individual, 
Some of them, it's, it seems big and miraculous, and other, it's very simple and it's internal, and we watch both at work. But regardless of if God is going to do something big or if it's going to be something small, there is still an expectation uh, that God is at work and that the Holy Spirit, He's going to do something. And even right now, as we sit in our culture, we, we are sitting in the expectation for God to act. And whether He is acting in our lives in very little ways, or he's acting in our lives in very miraculous ways, or if he's, he's operating in this culture and in the times that we live in little or big ways, we have this expectation um, that God is active, that he is alive, that he is pursuing men and women and children in his son's name. And that's what we see in Acts 16. So first chunk here in verse 11 says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, they ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day they came to Neapolis. And again, this is a, this, this sailing course that they're going through, taking them two days to sail over 150 miles. They have a tailwind, and you can just see the Holy Spirit blowing them exactly where they need to be. Verse 12, and from there to Philippi. So Neapolis is the port city to Philippi. It says, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony of uh, Thessaloniki is the capital of this area. Um, but again, the, these, this particular region, Philippi, is the, the foremost, the first city in this part of Macedonia. And if you're a history buff and you want to geek out a little bit, you can go and do your research. Um, this is part of uh, Roman civil war a hundred years prior to this scene. But as it's being identified as a colony, this is a Roman colony. Its culture is very Roman, and they're very proud in regards to their Roman history. So verse, uh, verse 13, well, almost verse 13, middle of 12 says, And when we were staying, we were staying in that city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. So even as that, in that expectation as they are traveling from Troas into Macedonia, they have a vision of a man. And here as they're in this community, they're there for some days. We don't know if it's over a week or not, but on the Sabbath day, they're going outside of this Roman colony city, Philippi, and there is a place by the river where those who worship the true and living God are gathering together. So in this community, we can tell by the information that's being given to us that it would have a very small Jewish population. 
Um, the, the rules of this time were that at least 10 Jewish men had to be in the community for there to be a synagogue established. So there's not a building uh, for the Jewish uh, believers in God to, to gather together to worship. We're not even told that men are gathering there, that when, when Paul and Silas and team here show up, that there's a group of women that are there praying. And again, the, 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 the heart behind going to a river uh, applies to um, the ritual washings that the Jews would do. Living water is always running water. It's always better than stagnant water where, you know, germs and it can stink. But it's that, re- it's that imagery of, you know, the tree planted by the streams of water um, where... The water is what is giving the nutrients. It's what is enabling the leaf to not wither and to dry out, that this tree is producing fruit in its season according to the Lord's will. This is all the imagery of why to gather by a river. It's a place where they could wash. It's a place where they could pray. It's a place where they could fellowship and talk, a place of safety. It's a place that the community would know that anybody who wants to come would be available to come. And as Paul sits down, he's speaking to the women, and one of these women that hears, her name is Lydia, and she's from the area of Thyatira in Asia, the area that the Holy Spirit was hindering Paul from preaching. He now finds a woman from that area in this community. And this is what I'm, I'm focused on in, as we go through the text this morning. It's the idea of freedom. It's the idea of being open. So here... It says that the Lord is the one who opens Lydia's heart to be able to to understand, to respond to. And the word heed here, it means that uh, um, she has a care for, a concern for the words that are being communicated. And you all know what it's like to hear somebody speak words and just think, eh, um, it's not important to me. I don't care, I'm just going to keep doing this thing over here. But for her, as Paul is sitting down and communicating to the group of women, Lydia specifically is, is singled out that the Lord is the one who opened her heart. She didn't open her heart herself. And this is where a lot of you probably sit in in, in your relationship with God over time. Um, in Calvary circles, there's, there's lots of testimony where the greatest of sinners is responding to the Lord, somebody that has reached that bottom of the barrel in, in, the, in the pit of their son, and they've cried out to the Lord for salvation, and we love those testimonies. Lydia has a testimony where by her name and from where she's from, um, there is an idea, an assumption that she is a freed woman, that she is used to be a slave, and that she has been freed. She was probably the slave of a merchant in this trade of purple, which is a luxury good in the time. Um, We don't know that for sure. We don't fully know her history and what's going on. Um, But she is in this scene. We're not told that she has a Jewish background. We are told that she is a worshiper of God, not the gods of the Roman or Greek pantheon, but the God of the Jews. She is intentionally pursuing the worship of that God. So we could say in a lot of ways, she seems to be a really good lady. 
in her culture, in her community. She's successful in her business. She is leading her household, whatever her household context looks like. Uh, she is participating in pursuing the worship of the true God. Um, whatever her background may be at this point in her life, she seems to be, like many in our culture, to have her act together. But even though she has her act together culturally, her act is not together spiritually. And this is what is, it's what we are doing as we convey the gospel to one another, as we tell people about who Jesus Christ is. We are asking the Lord to open the hearts of individuals, to open their minds, their ears, and their eyes to, uh, to care about and to be concerned about, not necessarily us as we are the ones who are doing the communicating, but about the word of God and who is this God? Who is Jesus Christ? What is it about him that he has done that saves us? What is it about his resurrection that grants to us eternal life? What is it about him that he abides in us in his love, in his care, in his provision, in his voice? What is it about him that, that captures you? What is it about God? What has he done in your life to cause your heart to be open to have care and concern, not just for him, but also for his words? And I just, I, I sit in this because I know in, in my flesh, I am not the one who initiated my relationship with God. I'm not the one who caused my heart to be opened and to, to pay attention and have concern for who he is, to seek to understand him. I know it has been a miraculous work of God in my life, not just 20 years ago, but even today, that he is the one who is causing me to be open and concerned about him. And as she is responding to the word, she's responding to the gospel as Paul is communicating who Jesus is as the Messiah, as Christ. It's not just her, but she and her household were all baptized. So here again, they're, they're at this, this living water, this, this river, she's responding she is not the only one there. Her household is there. We don't know if her household includes a spouse. We don't know if she is a widow. We don't know if she was a slave and was freed. We don't know if she's a self-made woman in this, in this culture. We don't know if she's had an inheritance from a husband passing away. We don't know if she's received an inheritance from her father passing away. We don't know all of those nuances of her life. But what we do know is that she is a leader in her household. And the way that the leader of the house goes, typically the way the rest of the household goes. And we see that multiple times in the Bible where, where we're given the testimony of an individual and what occurs in that individual's life in their relationship with Jesus now has great impact on the rest of their intimate relationships. And that's what we see in Lydia's life. And we're not told that this is immediately, but we think that obviously by what's being described that very soon after that, Lydia is 
in her wealth, in her success, she is seeking to be the patroness for Paul and his team to do what they are doing ministry-wise in their community. Come and stay in my household. If you have judged me, if you are observing my life, that I am being faithful to Jesus, I am inviting you to be a part of my household so that I can support you in doing what the Lord has called you to do. It's really, if, if you watch any movies on the book of Acts, most of them try and play on a little romance between Paul and Lydia. The word of God doesn't give us any of that. Um, romance always makes movies a little bit better um, to have that kind of dynamic and to have that kind of relationship. But what we see in the Bible here is that Lydia becomes a funder behind Paul and team as they continue to minister in this community. And as they minister in the community, verse 16. So we watch God do something in Lydia that's, um, that's internal. We're not told that uh, there was any kind of you know, miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are just told that the Lord opened this woman's heart. She already loved and was seeking after God and now she was given the truth and God opened her heart to that truth and she responded to it. And that's, that's the snapshot of the Holy Spirit's activity in her life. Now the Holy Spirit's activity in the life of the community here in verse 16 says, now it happened as we went to prayer. So the place of prayer again by that riverside. So they're walking outside the city. They're going to this place of prayer that a certain slave girl and the language is important. Earlier, we were introduced to a, a, slave, a young girl named Rhoda when Peter was released from prison and he went and knocked on the house of, of John Mark. Uh, the same word is used for this, for this girl, this slave girl. She's young. She's not old. She's probably early teens. And it says she is possessed by, uh, with a spirit of divination. Literally, the spirit of python. Pythona, um, this, this uh, specific spirit of div- divin- uh, divination is associated with the god Apollo in, in this culture. This is the same spirit of divination that's associated with the famous oracle of Delphi. And the description that is being given is this young girl who is owned by other humans this slave girl is held by this spirit of, of Python. Can't imagine that kind of life experience at all and don't want to imagine it really at all either. So this girl meets them on the way. And she brings her masters, literally her lords, much profit through her fortune telling. So the, this demon that has a hold of this girl in the spiritual realm here, there is a very real power that she is able to communicate and insight into other people's lives in this community because the demons are giving her this information as she's speaking it. She is owned and she is bringing a, a big profit to her owners. This is the business 
in which they are involved, where they make their money. And when you hit somebody in their pocketbook, those are fighting words, and that's what's going to come out here. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, these men are the servants, are the slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way, the means of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, he's, he's irked, he's provoked. He finally turns, after many days, he turns and says, not to the girl, but he says to this spirit of divination, this demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So again, this is in all of God's word. It's, we always want to try and sit in this visually with our imagination to, to sit in the word with understanding what would, what would this young girl's life be look like? She is owned. She is a slave. She is demon-possessed. She is being sold, uh, prostituted into this community for her fortune-telling abilities that are being given to her by uh, spirits that God created that are in rebellion to God. She's probably being abused physically. The only reason that she is being used as a tool is because people are willing to pay for what service she is able to give. They are not paying her the money. They are paying her masters. She's owned by multiple individuals. This is a real business for them. She has a real power from the spiritual world. So she's not just good at guessing. She's just not good at insight into people's lives to guess their fortunes as we see so many do today. There is when this girl has this demon commanded out of her in the name of Jesus by Paul, her masters cannot replace her. They see that their hope for profit, that their hope for finances is now gone. And they have no means to replace her because what this young girl was able to do was very real and they all recognize it. It's interesting when we, you know, I don't know why, you know, why didn't Paul address this girl from day one? Paul doesn't need the false advertising or the, it's true advertising, I guess, but he doesn't need the advertising of demons to give him um, credit in the community that he is a servant of the Most High God. We see in the Gospels often when the demons would open their mouths and speak through a human something about Jesus, Jesus told them to be silent. And after a few days, don't know why it took a few days for this to occur, but Paul gets really annoyed. And the command, I find this fascinating that... uh, I can command you in the name of Jesus Christ and you still have the power to say no to me. Here is Paul commands this spirit in the authority in the name of Jesus 
the demon, this spirit, does not have the power and the ability to say no to Jesus' authority. And I find that fascinating. And the same authority that Paul has in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not his authority, it's the authority that's being granted to him. It's the same authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ that has been given to us from Jesus in regards to this very real spiritual war and conflict that each of us are involved in. Ephesians 6 is the chapter that you'd want to sit in and study. We stand in the power of God and in his might and in his authority, but our wrestling, our conflict, more often than not, it's not with another human being. And yes, we have lots of conflicts, but the conflict that's going on on the inside, the war, that conflict is a very real spiritual battle where the demons, they know you, they study you, they've been watching you your whole life, they know how to tempt you, they know how to, uh, to attempt to lead you astray, they know the bait to, to cast in front of you, to attempt to lure you away from the true and living God. And the same power that was in Paul, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that dwells in us through faith in Jesus Christ today. We have this same power to tell the spiritual realm, be silent. In the name of Jesus, be silent. Stop talking. And even as we address that voice in our life, the immediate next sentence is calling upon God himself and having a conversation with God in the midst of that conflict, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that moment. God, I am feeling this spiritual pressure and oppression. I'm telling that voice to be silent in the name of Jesus. And God, I am asking to hear your voice. I'm calling on you to save me from my enemies that are seeking my destruction. That's a, it's a powerful reality in all, all of our lives. So... As these men, these masters, seize Paul and Silas, they're dragging them to the marketplace, the agora, bringing them to the authorities. They bring them there to the magistrates and say, these men being Jews. So this is, this is becoming a, a, a religious and an ethnic conflict. These, this is a minority in this community. They are exceedingly troubling our city. They have thrown our city into confusion. They are, they are preaching, they're proclaiming customs and practices that are not lawful for us being Romans to accept or observe, to, to receive and, and do. Again, stirring up the community against the minority is what's going on because of their loss. Again, they just got hit in the pocketbooks and they want to lash out. Verse 22, it says, Then the multitude rose up together against them. Literally, they joined in the attack. All those that are gathered, the magistrates command that their clothes be torn off them. They're stripped down to their britches, so to say. And the command was given for them to be beaten with rods. I can, I, that's a, that is a, a physical reality that I have no 
concept uh, to even imagine that kind of pain and brokenness. For the Jews, uh, they had a limit of 40 strokes, 40 lashes, 40 blows. Um, They always said 40 minus 1, just in case somebody miscounted. For the Romans, they have no such law. So how many times Paul and Silas received a rod across their back, across their legs? I don't know. It says, when they had laid many blows, many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, literally in wood. So he's received the command to keep them securely, puts them in an inner prison, puts their feet in wood in the stocks. They are chained. They are as secure as possible, locked up. And almost, no, I'm not going to say all the time, but a lot of the time, When God is communicating to us through his word, he's teaching us through contrast. And the contrast that we see throughout this chapter is that contrast between being able to be open, open of heart, open of mind, and and free, and being uh, this this demon-possessed girl. She She was held, she was possessed. Paul and Silas are now locked away in prison. So that, uh, that tension, that contrast is what carries through this word. So here they have just spiritually freed this young girl. We're not told if she receives Jesus. But again, you just sit in the imagination of what it would be to be held by a wicked spirit And then to be in your right mind in the next moment, the freedom that would be there would be incredible. But the freedom, the spiritual freedom, the physical freedom that was just granted to this girl, Paul and Silas now find themselves in the exact opposite. They are now the ones that are being abused physically and they are the ones that are now locked up. And in verse 25, this is what we all want to be able to do in every circumstance where we feel like we are being beat up, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, whether we've just been hit in the pocketbook, whatever this looks like, when we are suffering in the name of Jesus, as we are pursuing him, as we are trusting in him, and the circumstances in our life are now... um, We feel beat up and locked in prison. At midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This, for me, is the the behavior of heroes. Paul and Silas, for me, they're, they're heroes in this instant. How many different emotions would these men be processing through? They, are, they have just been delivered severe physical pain. Their feet are in stocks. Stocks are meant to keep you in an uncomfortable and painful position. They're, they're a torture device, not just a, a, a device to, to, to hold you in place. 
You could go to the emotion of, of anger, of man, when I get out of this, the first Roman I see, I'm going to kill. You could go to the emotion of depression. God hates me and this, this world is miserable and woe is me and I just want to die and want to seek to kill yourself. And every emotion in between those two extremes are, are the possibilities where we could run to. Um, the options abound. And the option that Paul and Silas take together as brothers in Jesus is that option to pray. That option of, God, you are faithful. God, I trust you. God, I know who you are. God, this hurts. I'm asking that you heal me and that you take away my pain. Who are they praying for? Are they praying for their brothers and sisters that are still on the outside that know um, persecution would come their way, that God would protect them? Are they praying for the demon-possessed girl that is now free? Are they praying for her? Are they praying for the men that just abused them? I think all of the above. Singing hymns to God. They're singing God's praise. Again, this is what I love about the Psalms. Um, I've been going through the Psalms really slowly this year. And it's just psalm after psalm, song after song, poem after poem. You have this, this circumstance that's going on that, that hurts. And you travel through the emotion all that. And every single one of them, it's ending in these declarations of love for God and adoration for him. And, and looking to him for deliverance. And I trust you, Lord. And that's what these men are doing as they are locked away. And as they're locked away, suddenly there's this great earthquake. And this is not just some random earthquake going on. This is God shaking the earth for specific reasons so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. So again, this idea, now here's freedom again. Every, all these men, the, everybody that's in this prison, they're in bondage. The doors are now open. The doors have been opened by God supernaturally. The chains, they've, uh, as they're anchored to the wall, these, these anchors have now come undone. They're being loosed. They're free. And again, and the emotion of that freedom would be what? God's just provided the way of escape. Run, go, you're free. But it's not what happens. The keeper of the prison awakes from his sleep and seeing that the prison doors were open, he's supposing, he's thinking that all the prisoners have fled and he draws his sword out of its scabbard and he's ready to fall on it to kill himself because this is what he would be duty bound to do if the prisoners under his charge had escaped. But Paul cries out, calls with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. I, I, I think that that's fa fascinating. Paul and Silas may, may not be able to walk really well themselves. But in this, as the prisoners are listening to Paul and Silas, as they're listening to their words of prayer, as they're listening to them sing songs to God, that when this earthquake happens, everybody recognizes that Something divine, something supernatural just happened. 
And they are looking to Paul and Silas as for their leadership and the circumstance immediately. And all the doors are open and there's the, there's the route of escape. Everybody would be able to escape. It's open, you're free, but they all choose to remain. What I find fascinating about this is this earthquake was not for Paul and Silas's freedom. It was not for the freedom of the other prisoners in this jail cell. It was for the freedom of the jailer and his household. Paul just saved this man, just saved his life. Do yourself no harm. We are here, we have remained. Paul's action toward this man is nothing but love. This man had to have known exactly what's been going on in the community, the testimony behind uh, the, the slave girl being freed, the beating that occurred, why these men are being held in prison. The jailer is very well aware of the testimony that's going on. And as he is responding to this divine supernatural act and the earthquake and the love of Paul towards him and preserving his life, it says he calls for a light, he runs in, he falls down trembling. And you gotta, you gotta sit in the emotion of this man before Paul and Silas. And then he brings them out of the inner prison. And this is his question. Sirs, which is literally lords, what must I do to be saved? It's a a fascinating question because, again, there's a lot more details going on in this man's life than we have available to us for these to be the words that come out of his mouth. In verse 31, they said, believe, and this is the verb, this is an action, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Simple. There's, all, there's been all kinds of debate on this one sentence and you know, people use it as examples. Uh, we always want to, as an example of uh, what do you communicate to somebody who wants to be saved? What do you communicate to somebody uh, in regards to the requirements to be saved? And it's as simple as that. You take an active faith, belief, trust, reliance upon. And again, every single one of these words is loaded. loaded. The Lord, what that means as, as master, uh, this, the word used for the slave girls, masters, the word for sirs, the word for Lord here, it's all the same in the Greek. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What does it mean that we believe in this, in this specific individual, Jesus, his name meaning salvation itself, that he's going to save his people from their sins? What does it mean that he's the Christ? You know, all of these words, these titles, these definitions, his names, they mean something in regards to our active faith and reliance upon him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be saved. 
delivered. You will be set free from your sins. Your heart will now be made open to him. The heart of stone is removed. The heart of flesh is removed. The, the, uh, a new heart is given in which the word of God is written upon it. A, uh, we are now indwelt. We are now born again, born from above. All these different descriptions of what salvation means. Ultimately, that our grave is going to be empty because we will forever abide in his resurrection power. And not just you, but and your household. Again, that influence upon household. But again, it sounds very simple. But again, there's more words that are communicated. So verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were in his house. So it's not that this just one sentence, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, the gospel is that simple. But when we say the word gospel, when we say the word good news, there's a lot of definition behind that. We're not told if Paul speaks for a minute. We're not told if he gives them the words of the gospel for five minutes, for 10 minutes. We're not told if they have a conversation for an hour and there's, there's questions and answers going back and forth. But we do know that what is being communicated is exactly what this jailer and his household need to hear in regards to who Jesus is, what he has done, that he is alive, that he ascended into heaven, that he is coming back, that he is Lord of all, that he is Savior. And he and his household come to this position in verse 33. They took him that same hour of the night again. This is... um. I love this action because this jailer has just heard about Jesus. He has just responded to Jesus. And the first thing that we watch him doing is exactly what Jesus would have done. I think of John chapter 13 as Jesus is giving us that example of as he girds himself and washes the disciples' feet. Being an example here, verse 33, this jailer, he takes... Paul and Silas, they're out of the prison. They're in his home. And he, this again, this all started at midnight, right? So it's early in the morning and he's washing their wounds. He mistreated them earlier. And he is now responding to them with the love of Jesus. Instantly a new heart. I just, I just think it's a beautiful picture. And immediately he and all of his household. So again, this is the middle of the night. Did they go down to the river? Did they just pour water over their heads? I don't have a clue. Is this his wife, his kids, or these teenagers, or these adults, or these babies? I don't have a clue. He and all of his family are baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a revival that just occurred in this home. What was once dark is now light. Verse 34. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, fellowshipping together, tending to their needs. He's rejoicing, having believed in God with all of his household. Again, the, the, the picture of just absolute violence to the peace that God brings in the midst of an incredibly difficult circumstance, to God doing something miraculous to capture the attention of all of these unsaved individuals, to have these people respond in love and humility and tell me about the God that you serve. 
and now uh, receiving that same God as your God and then having out of you flow those same emotions of love, those same emotions of joy and rejoicing. I love it. Verse 35, I, because I love it because this is where, Lord, keep me there. Keep me in that position of continually rejoicing in you. Keep me continually in that position, Lord, to just to love the way that you would love in the circumstance that I find myself in. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent, off, uh, sent the officer saying, let those men go. Again, the same idea. They're open, they're free. Let them go from... Prison. Keeper of the prison reports these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart, go in peace. Paul says, I don't think so. They've beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and having thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come and get us out. Let them come themselves and get us out and lead us out. And you know, Paul's sitting in the law of the time. Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens. Uh, Roman citizens could not be beaten without having the due process of law. Uh, Non-Roman citizens could be beaten. They could be treated however they wanted to be treated. So there's kind of two sets of law books in this culture. Paul knows what the law is. But I think what Paul is doing here is he is not um, trying to stick it to these guys. He is not trying to follow the letter of the law of the community. What Paul is attempting to do is serve his brothers and sisters in Christ in this community. Because he is looking to free the church from unmerited persecution that none of his brothers and sisters would have to endure the same thing they just beat us openly uncondemned because of money issues essentially they need to come and lead us out openly so that it will be publicly known that what this community just did to us was illegal and that it was wrong. And when you have that open confession like that, that is going to prevent that community from pursuing other believers that are there, that are responding to the gospel. So verse 38 says the officers... Uh, told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans because they just broke the law. Verse 39, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out. They led them out publicly and asked them to depart from the city. Please leave. Uh, be really good for this whole situation just to go away and sweep it on the carpet, act like it never happened. That's their process. Verse 40 says, So they went out of the prison, and they entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And just last week, and back in verse... Um, was that verse 10? I had you circle the word we if you mark in your Bibles, because this is where Luke shows up with the team. Now that the language here at the end of chapter 16 shifts to they, Luke stays behind. And what's fascinating is if you flip over in your Bible all the way to chapter 20, 20 verse 5 
says that these men going ahead, they waited for us at Troas, verse 6, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So Luke stays behind here with Lydia and her household, this household of new believers in Jesus. Luke stays behind. This household of the jailer and, and those of his household. Luke stays behind to be able to minister to those individuals. And I love the contrast that's given. You can sit in all the differences between the backgrounds and the current status, social status of Lydia and of the jailer. Totally different backgrounds. Um, they, the Lord intervened in their life in very different ways. Their hearts were both opened to respond to who Jesus was in different ways. They both respond. Similar testimony of their entire households become believers in the Lord. But here we're just told that Lydia's household, this jailer's household, maybe uh, the slave girl who was freed, Maybe some of the other prisoners. Maybe there's some other believers in the community. We don't know with all these maybes. All we know is that there are two households of believers in Jesus that remain in this community. And Luke chooses to stay behind. And he, you know, again, we're not given any of this information. He doesn't give us that personal testimony. But he remains behind to disciple, to strengthen, to teach, to lead, to encourage, to help as the gospel grows in this community and Jesus adds to his church. I'd recommend uh, as, you, as you go into this week, take the 20 minutes and read through Paul's letter to Philippians. So read Philippians. This is later down the road, but in that we're given testimony that the Philippian church as Paul and Silas leave and Timothy goes with them as these three men leave out of Philippi that's the church that's there, Lydia's household and the jailer's household, they are financially supporting uh, Paul and team as they continue to move on. We see a break in that financial support over time. As Paul is sitting in jail later on as he has been arrested and he is writing the letter to the church in Philippi, he is responding to them sending a financial gift with Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus is a believer in this community. He brings the gifts to Paul. And Paul is writing this letter back to them, encouraging them and thanking them for the long-standing relationship that they had together as brothers and sisters. Just beautiful testimony. I was reminded this week, you know, as we end this, again, it's, it's, it's always a little different. Usually we're, we're closing in prayer and we'd have a couple of worship songs and then come back up and again and, and close in prayer and dismiss. So my mind kind of gets out of sorts, but I've had the thought for the past couple of weeks and I haven't remembered, but I kept a place marker today so that I would remember. Because this has become central tradition just for me and I think for us as a church. But I love this prayer out of Ephesians chapter 3. I want to continue to pray it for you. I continue to pray it for myself. But again, it's for this reason. It's for, it's for God's supernatural intervention into our lives that has caused us to be open to him as he has come into us and taken up residence as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, on the Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation. For this reason, we bow our knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
from whom the whole family, Lydia's family, the jailer's family, your family, my family, the whole church in heaven and earth is named that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. May that strength be true for all of us. That Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Love you.